we're going to jump right in. Psalm 98. Psalm 98, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read the whole thing. It says, Sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. The Lord has made his salvation known and revalued his righteousness to the nations. He has remembered his love and his faithfulness to Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Burst into jubilant song with music. Make music to the Lord with the harp, with the harp and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the blast of the ram's horn. Shout for joy before the Lord, the King. Let the sea resound and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. The title of today's message is Joy to the World. Some of you are worried already. You're like, this brother don't know it's February. Like, <laughs> that was a two-month-ago message. <laughs> and I'm very much aware of that. I'm very much aware that it's February. But God pressed on my heart that there is some qualities that come from his spirit that we need more than one month of the year. And today I am very excited to get into this message with you. The reason I thought of joy to the world is during our time of fasting and prayer, this song kept coming to my heart. And if any of you know me well, you know that like I'm not like super duper Christmas music guy. And so I kept, I'm like, why do I keep singing? I kept beatboxing and doing, because I can't sing. So I just do like the melody to the music. Like I can't actually sing. So I kept doing it though. I'm like, why do I have this song? in my spirit and so one day I just kind of settled down I actually started looking up some stuff about the song like why would this song be playing in my heart and so I I actually learned that um, sir um, um, the gentleman who wrote this Mr. Isaac Watts was a minister and he has an amazing story but as a young child it's really cool to know a little bit about a story as a young child he would be in church and he would be singing the hymns and he noticed that the faces of the people singing the hymns didn't reflect the content of the message. And so he told his dad, he said, Dad, why do these people that are singing look so sad? Like, we've got to do something about this. And I love the encouragement of his father. His father encouraged him at a young age, said, son, you've got to do something about this. He said, if God put it on your heart, you're supposed to change it. And so Isaac Watts, was a, he was a genius. He was so brilliant. They said in the third or fourth grade, he was doing Latin. Like, he was just, God blessed him with immense knowledge. But I love so much that as, as brilliant as he was, his IQ did not separate him from intimacy with God. And so in 1719, Isaac Watts composed a book of hymns and poems called the Psalms of David. And the thing that he did differently than the peer, his peers were doing at that time was he was incorporating themes from the New Testament, the the heart of the New Testament, and he was combining it with the Old Testament, and he was singing about it in church. And so even though it's called the Psalms of David, he takes what David is saying, and David often is looking forward to what God is doing in the future, and he's celebrating what God is doing right now. And so even though we celebrate Isaac Watts and we sing this song now, in this time he was considered a heretic because he didn't stick to the traditional way of doing things. But I'm so glad he didn't because this, the psalm that we ended up reading, Psalm 98, is the psalm that he based the song Joy to the World off of. And this psalm, just so you know, is not 
based off of Christmas time. Um, we use this song at Christmas time because it's appropriate. But the reality of this psalm is it points to what God did to deliver his people out of Egypt. It talks about his greatness now. It talks about how the earth, even the physical earth, gives him praise. And then, most importantly, and this is for us today, it talks about the soon coming king to rule this world. Not baby Jesus who came to die for us, although that's important because you can't have a second coming without a first coming. So I'm not here to try to take joy to the world away from Christmas. I'm just trying to add to this ability to have this song in your heart all year long. And so this psalm literally is telling us that joy is what helps us look forward. It's what prepares our heart for the soon coming king. And when this word, the, the line that I kept getting stuck on was let every heart prepare him room. And I kept trying to sing and hum past that, but God was like, no, 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 sing that line again. Let every heart prepare him room. He's like, again, again, let every heart prepare him room. Let every heart prepare him room. He goes, that, he goes, that needs to be the core of what you say to my people next time you speak. Let every heart prepare him room. And so what this made me think of, preparing room, took me back to the a main scripture that we read just a few months ago in Luke chapter 2, verses 4 through 7. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Because he belonged to the house and line of David, he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them, or there was no room in the inn. Today I want to talk to you about a couple things, but the core that I want to talk to you about today is um, I've got a few points. I really just kind of want to preach this thing, but I have to for the organization's sake and people taking notes. I respect you. I respect you. You're the best, you're the best of us, so I have to cater to you. Um, that's my wife is one of them. We got, I got to cater to people who take notes. Um, I do have three points that you all can hold me accountable to, okay? But the core of what I want to talk about is how um, I believe the Bible is instructing us uh, to get joy to the world, to get joy into the world. The first thing I want to do is define joy. Um, there are so many different ways that you can define it, but God kind of gave me this little thing to, to take down. I put joy as the spiritual gift that flows from faith that allows me to look like Jesus no matter the circumstance. Joy is the spiritual gift that flows from faith that allows me to look like Jesus no matter the circumstance. So the first point that I want to talk about is in order to get joy to the, world, uh, to the world, I must take him at his word. I must take him at his word. See, this story is very interesting about Mary and Joseph, but one thing that uh, struck me big time over the fast was Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephratath, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler 
over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This is super interesting because this is not really vague. This is pretty clear. Bethlehem was called by name, was prophesied that the ruler would come through Bethlehem. And so before we can get joy to the world, we must first take God at his word. The reality is Bethlehem had no room in their home because they had no room in their heart. And I can't make space in my home if I don't have space first and foremost in my heart. And how do I know that I don't have space in my heart? It's do I believe what he said? Do I trust what he said? And am I okay with making preparations even though I don't know when, how it's going to happen? Very often when God speaks a word, he might give you a where. He don't tell you when. He don't tell you how. If he tells you how, he don't tell you where. Like it's, you, you, there's always a couple of things left out of the equation, right? Abraham head. Okay, that's what to do, but like where now is the, I know when, but where a lot oftentimes he will give you a word and you have to take him at his word even though you don't know the details. See, I'm not here to bash Bethlehem because the reality is it was over 700 years between the time Micah 5.2 was written and the time Jesus was born. That's a long time. And what that speaks to is what I'm really here for. And am I okay with making preparations for something that I don't actually get to see with my own eyes? The reality is this word was a generational word to Bethlehem. The reality is the believers 700 years ago should have started something that passed down to their children that kept making space, that kept looking out for the Savior. I don't know the city of uh, uh, Bethlehem's, their tax situation. I don't know if they had enough city tax dollars to make a, a, a Bethlehem birthing center or something. <laughs> but there was something that should have been happening to prepare for this word. At least, at the very least, if they didn't have the money for the hospital, there should have been such great joy and anticipation with the birth of every single child in Bethlehem. Because the Bible clear, the word of God came to them and said, you, your city, by name, you, the Savior is coming through you. But we don't have to ask somebody if they believe God at his word, we can look at the life and see if you have space to receive it. And here is one of the challenging things about this. I heard a word during the fast associated with Mary's condition that I had not heard before or even considered as many times as I've heard this story. I know that she was in Bethlehem and I know that she had a baby. But I heard this word, and this word was active. Active. Mary went into active labor. And all of a sudden, I went, whoa. Because I am blessed with four children. And I have been in 
the hospital room on four occasions when my wife was in active labor. <laughs> that changed the whole story for me. Because all of the sudden, think about this, think about this, think about the condition of a person's heart to not make room for a woman in active labor. A woman in active labor is not a pretty thing. <laughs> it's not a pretty thing. And this points to something so beautiful yet so deep. What was knocking on their door was a miracle, but it sounded like pain. What was knocking on their door was a miracle, but it was going to have a smell attached to it. What was knocking on their door was a miracle, but there was going to be a mess associated with it. And so often we don't have room for Jesus because we don't realize that Jesus always comes in the form of something that looks painful. When Jesus shows up at your door, it's not going to be something that's glowing. It's going to be something that you have to work to give birth to. And when Mary showed up, she's going, ah, and people are like, mm. like, I know what happens with that. That's going to be a mess. That's going to be a mess. And the, the, the word there was they had no rooms. And we can't blame Bethlehem for having no rooms at the time. It was full. They were doing a census. And so, okay, all the rooms were full. But nobody would give her the room? Give a room? Like, hey, two of y'all going to sleep in this bed. You got to move over here. Let's, let's make, make room. Because it's amazing that Jesus still showed up even though they were not prepared for him. He still showed up, and that's the good news for you and I is today, even though you may be under the sound of my voice, you may be streaming online, you may hear this later, even though right now you may have not prepared adequately for what God has put into your heart, the word he has spoken to you in your specific Bethlehem situation, he's still knocking on the door, it's not too late, but will you make room now? Will you make room? They should have given her the room, but they didn't. The miracle he's asking you to prepare for can be messy, it can be scary loud, it can stink. But Jesus is found there. He's found there. Some of you may just have to hold on tight in faith and trust. Listen, when my wife gives birth, I am not a manly man at all. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with y'all. Let's say this is my wife's face during birth, this is her head. I hold her hand, and I'm right here, and I'm like, baby, you can do it. This is going to be good. You got this, baby. I trust you. You're strong. You've got this. And then before long, she's calming me down. She's like, are you okay? I'm like, <laughs> I'm a little hot. I'm a little sweaty. I'm a little nervous. You don't like blood, but I think I'm going to be okay. And she's calming me down before it, it's over with. So listen, I'm not telling you that, like, if you're not good with mess, like, that it's, it's okay, but you got to hang in there anyway. I mean, a couple times I may have tried to negotiate, like, a stronger family member to be in the room and me wait for them to clean up my child and then me come hold the baby. But she never gave me the okay on that. <laughs> never. So 
<clears throat> After the first two, I thought I'd get a pass. But no, she was like, you're going to be in this room. And I said, okay. And so the, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess. But it's a miracle. It's a mess, but it's a miracle. We've got to give God room to work in our life. When we think about the birthing analogy, when we think about a baby, we think about doctors and surgery, any kind of procedure. Let's think about the practical fact that they don't ever do surgery in a closet in the hospital. They don't do the birthing in a closet. Why? They got to have room to work. And so making room is good, but what God is really asking for is the whole thing. He wants all the space. And so often we try to corner God and give him a space in our life and we say hey this is your room to work and we try to fit God into a closet and we're wondering why he's not able to do everything in our life that we feel like he wants to do maybe it's because we haven't given him enough space because you know what also comes with the doctor some assistance he gets some people to do certain things while he's doing the work and he's got multiple people involved. Perhaps because we have sectioned off God to a corner in our life, we haven't created the space for the people he wants to send into our life to help bless us as well. And so, God, I, I came to deliver a tough message, but a hopeful one is that he wants joy to the world to create space in your heart so that he can have the whole thing all year round. He doesn't want to make you just a a giving selfless person during Christmas time. He's trying to get joy to the world all year round and he needs you to give him the room. Like all of it, like all of it. The second point, the first one we went over, I must take him at his word. The second point is that joy flows from intimacy. Joy flows from intimacy. Where the believer often falls is that we believe that when we are weak, we must get tough and fight our way to demonstrate our strength. But in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10, there's a really awesome, awesome line. The people had just found the, the Old Testament and they are, they're reading the book of the law. The Bible says that they are weeping, that they are super sad because they realize all of the ways that they have not <laughs> been keeping up with God's law, all the ways they have fallen short. And Nehemiah encourages them. He says, today is not the day for weeping, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. See, the thing is, they received the word. Our first point is we must take him at his word. They received the word. And now Nehemiah is saying, now that you have received this, that you've let it pierce your heart, don't be troubled. The joy of the Lord will be your strength. But that joy flows from an intimacy with God. In other words, I have to spend time in his word and I have to spend time in worship and prayer with my heavenly father in order to be strong. Intimacy. Intimacy. And I believe that the enemy has shrewdly convinced many of us to be okay with, I, with what I believe to be the opposite of joy, and that is shame. 
See, many of us, because shame doesn't connote the same type of evil spirit that we think of when we think of evil or of the devil, we think of super violent or evil things or crimes when we think of something of the devil. But oftentimes, shame is not one of those. Shame is something that we will let kind of ride along with us for a while, that we kind of just accept it. And I believe that the enemy has convinced us that shame is a normal constant in our life. It's an easy lie to believe because it doesn't seem like it's as evil as every other type of sin. But here's the reality. Shame is demonic. It is evil and it is of the devil. It is not from God. Therefore, it has no place in your life. And if you hold on to shame, let's say you have no other sin, no other evil in your life, but you hold on to shame, you will be too weak to do the work that God has called you to do. Matthew 22 teaches us a valuable lesson about this. It's, un- it's incredible. This is, a par- it's the par- this is a book that has a couple of parables in it, but it starts off about the wedding. It starts off of the bridegroom inviting his guest to come to his wedding celebration. And the Bible says that he sends out a second invite because the people who he invited did not come, and he goes and tries to get them, but it turns out that they were too busy to come. And the Bible says what they ended up having to do instead was it ended up not working out well for them. So he, said, he sends his servants out and he says, invite anybody, invite everybody to come in. And so the Bible says people, they all ended up coming in and filling, filling the room. And the Bible says something so amazing. It says the bridegroom looked around and he realized that there was one person not wearing wedding garments. And he goes to that person and he says, friend, why don't you have garments on? And that person thought, the Bible says they had nothing to say. And the Bible says the bridegroom says, you've got to go out into the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. And I was like, it feels extreme. (laughs) Wow. This person just got kicked out the wedding for not having the right clothes on. And in my brain, I'm like, I mean, it was on the street. And then I started reading it over and over again. And I'm like, wait, everybody was from the street. Nobody had the right attire. Yet everybody had the right attire except for this one person, which means the bridegroom provided the proper clothing. But one person decided Ah, I'm not good enough with that type of clothing. I'll just keep what I got on. That person was comfortable in their shame and in their false humility. And Jesus looks at that person and says, that's evil. You're out of here. I'm just telling you that we are partnering. When we partner with shame, we're partnering with something evil that stops you in your tracks and prevents you from putting on the garment of praise that God has given freely to you and it stops you from pursuing your purpose because you keep listening to this voice that keeps reminding you about what's happened in the past and doesn't allow you to listen to his voice of what he's calling you to in your present and in for your future. Shame is evil. 
It is evil, and it has no place in the life of a believer. No place. Number three, joy prepares my heart for God's purpose. Joy prepares my heart for God's purpose. Hebrews 12, chapter 2, it says, For the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross, scorning its shame. It's shame. Shame, I believe, more than I read the Bible, it is the opposite of joy. It tells you that no matter your circumstance or your stature, because now the Bible says if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you are seated in heavenly places. So that's your current position. But shame does the opposite of joy. It says no matter where you are seated, you're not good enough. So the Bible says for the joy set before Jesus, he endured the cross, scorning the shame of sin. So when Jesus died on the cross, he looked at your sin and said, what now, sucker? Like, what now? And so anytime you are feeling shameful, Hebrews 12, 2 tells you to look at the cross. There is nothing now that can separate you from the love of God. It doesn't matter if you did it an hour ago. It's in the past and it's under his blood. He endured the cross. But in that same image, joy is what helps me endure whatever I'm going through in the moment to do what God has called me to do. That is the power of joy. Pastor Robbie said it this last week. He's talking about the difference between, it was maybe on Wednesday, he said, God's not concerned about happiness because happiness is based on happenings, your circumstance. And as we read beginning, joy says no matter the circumstance, I can look like Jesus in this situation. That is the attitude and the mentality that will create space in my heart for whatever God wants to do. So even when he calls my name, and I'm the first one of the line of the generations that's going to take 700 years for him to fulfill the word, I'm going to make space and just do whatever God has me to do. Maybe I lay the first couple of bricks of the foundation of the Bethlehem Hospital that I won't ever get to see Jesus born in, but by faith, I'm gonna lay the groundwork because his word and his calling to me and my purpose on this earth is bigger than me, it's bigger than my family. It's about the world, for God so loved the world. And so when I give up my life, it's for a savior who's died for the world. This is bigger than me, whatever you want to do with my life, you can do. I may never see the fruit of all of what you've called me to do, but it's okay. It's not my life. It's your life. And until we're okay with God getting all of the glory, even when I don't know what he's doing in my life, until we're okay with me, nobody knowing my name, knowing my sacrifice, knowing what I've done for the Lord, until we're okay with that, we'll never have enough space when that knock comes, we'll never have enough space when he comes knocking on our door. Matthew 25, verses 1 through 12, says this. It says, at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. 
The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil, uh, oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, truly, I tell you, I don't know you. The last thing I want to talk about, we've talked about three different ways that God wants us to get joy to the world. We must take him at his word. We know that joy flows from intimacy and that joy prepares our hearts for God's purpose. And this last thing is that prayer is the place where joy is strengthened. Prayer is the place where joy is strengthened. This parable is really interesting because these women symbolize all of us as believers. And the bridegroom is a symbol of Jesus coming back for his church. But the oil symbolizes relationship. And these believers weren't being rude. The virgins weren't being rude to the other virgins. What they were literally saying is, I can't give you intimacy. I can't give you relationship. I can't give you love that comes from intimacy because I can't give you time. When he shows up, there's no more time. And what the virgins are saying to the other virgins and what I would like to say to you today is there is no substitution for being in his presence. There is an oil that flows only from being intimate with God through prayer. And Pastor Rob spoke a word at the beginning of this year and he declared over this church that God wants to prosper you this year. I ask you to go ahead and stand to your feet. God wants to prosper you this year. So he sent me with a question for you. Do you have room? Will you give him the room? Because in order to do what God wants to do in your life, you've got to have the space for it. He very much wanted a family to be a part of that special moment. Can you imagine the savior of all of the world being born in your home? He wanted that moment for somebody, but nobody had the space. 
Nobody had room. Everybody was too busy. Their lives was too full. And the king is coming, and he's coming now. The word Pastor Robbie gave, and some of you may have not ever been a part of a church where a pastor declares a word over the church. But it's biblical, and he's just saying that God wants to do something special to everyone attached to this house and through this house. But in order for God to do it, you have to have space in your heart. And there, it, listen, I love podcasts. I love, I love all of the different tools. I love listening to sermons. But there is no substitute. There are only enhancers for your intimacy with God. There is no substitute for you getting on your knees and crying out to God for yourself. There is no substitute. And friends, this is the only thing that will create space in your heart is intimacy with God. He wants badly to use you in a mighty way this year, not next year, not get you ready, now. And the incredible thing about his presence is that it can, it can fast forward the time that you've wasted in the past. If you give him right now, if you say, hey, God, clean house, he can fast forward all of the time that you've wasted. I'm so guilty of it. I've wasted so much time. But over the fast, he said, listen, if you clean house now, I can make up for all the lost time because I'm the God of restoration. And one of the first things I will restore is your joy joy it's that joy that will make you strong so that every lie of the enemy that rises up against you that tells you why you aren't qualified to receive what God is trying to give to you this year that joy will help you point at the cross and said shame is evil and it's not for me I will not listen to that and through prayer and intimacy I will make room in my heart for what God wants to do through me. And he wants to use me to get joy to the world. But I can only get joy to the world if I make room in my heart for him to fill me with joy first. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you in this moment for your powerful, powerful presence. I thank you, God, for your redeeming power and your saving love. I thank you for your cross that has so much power, that wants to tear down every lie of shame that is holding anybody down, anybody back. That guilt conscious that is not of you, it's from the devil. We are chosen and we are accepted and we are approved by an almighty God because of the blood that Jesus shed on the cross. God, today I'm asking for each and every one of the people under the sound of this voice that they would create space by being intimate with you for whatever it is that you want them to do. If you're under the sound of my voice and you would say, I've never truly made space in my heart, for God to be the Lord of my life. 
brother or sister, I want to say today is a beautiful day to do it. And there is therefore now no condemnation for you. If you would like to make that decision today to follow Christ and have him be the Lord of your life and guide your heart, just throw your hands up, just wave at me. Thank you, God. Bless that hand. Bless that hand. God, bless those hands. Church, let's pray together with those that have lifted their hands. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for your sacrifice by sending your son to scorn my shame through the cross I have power through the cross I have power over sin and over shame thank you for loving me thank you for saving me and thank you for your joy your undescribable joy that will keep me strong when things get rough. No matter my circumstance, I am in your hands and I am loved by you. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. Can we give a hand clap and rejoice with those who have fallen? Choose Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Listen, if you made that decision, they've got a number up there on the screen for you. We would love for you to text that word, decision, so that we can walk with you. This life was not meant to be done alone. God puts us in families for a reason. So if you made that decision, you can text that word. Also, the altar is open for everybody, whether you lifted your hands or not. There's people up here who want to pray with you and, and agree with you that God would do everything that he's placed on your heart this year. Thank you so much. You all be blessed.